morning. Good to be here today, and um, glad to see so many uh, new faces and guests and folks that are returning week in and week out, and uh, we just continue to see God do an incredible work uh, through our church, and uh, we're excited about that. Later on during the service, we're going to be uh, voting on um, our parking lot that we're going to be uh, putting in, and uh, if you'd pray for us on that, we're uh, dealing with the county on some issues, um, and so just pray that that goes as smoothly as possible, and if you've ever had to deal with the county, uh, you know, before, that's in part, kind of like part in the Red Sea. Can I get an amen, right, amen? And so, um, anyways, we're glad you're here today. Uh, this morning is uh, a standalone message, and so we want to talk to you today uh, just a little bit about what it means to do life together as a church. And so this last month, um, our growth groups have taken uh, the entire month off uh, in order for us to spend some time uh, pouring into them and talking to them about uh, what's expected of a growth group leader. And as pastors, we've been uh, doing our best to um, equip them for the work of the ministry because as the church grows larger on a Sunday morning, it also has to grow smaller at the same time. And so uh, as the church grows larger, you're going to see your pastors doing less and less of the ministry, and you're going to be doing more and more of the ministry. And what's going to happen is, is you're going to see our pastors becoming equippers of those who are doing the work of the ministry, which is a very biblical concept which, that we find in Ephesians chapter 4, that uh, my job, Mike's job, John and Clint, uh, our responsibility to you as a church is not to be the paid staff that does the ministry. Um, we are employed by and we function as men of God who are called to equip you to be disciples of Jesus Christ and live out really the principles that we find uh, in the New Testament. Now, I've never been there before, but in California, there's this national park that's reserved, and I've got a picture of it this morning, but it's reserved for uh, the redwoods, the sequoias. And I've, I've shared this before, but I feel like this illustration is absolutely fitting for what I believe God wants us to be as a church and how um, it should ultimately characterize us as believers, as disciples of Jesus Christ, and ultimately as a community of faith. Sequoias are the world's largest single living trees and the largest living thing by volume. I mean, if you look at it, um, there's a house or a cabin there, and then there's these massive trees, and that's not like a miniature Lego house or anything like that. That's, that's a legit house, and, and if you go on Google and you look at some of the pictures, you'll find it takes uh, several people to link arms, you know, hand in hand to go around these massive trees. Uh, when you look at them, I mean, they're, they're glorious looking, aren't they? And uh, Ben's not here today, but uh, Ben and uh, uh, his dad, Mr. Sidon, he used to work in, uh, you know, the forest preserves, and, and he has actually been there, and he's seen these these massive trees, and they're, they're just something that God created that, that is absolutely glorious. The largest sequoia is 311 feet in height and 56 feet in, di in diameter. The oldest is 3,500 years old. Isn't that amazing? 3,500 years old. They're the oldest living thing on earth. One of the keys, and this is what's fascinating about these trees, one of the keys to their health is that they do not compete with each other for resources. They don't compete. I mean, you would think that a tree like that would take an, 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 an immense amount or an insane amount of resources in order for it to live as long as it does, to be as massive and immense as it is. And yet, these trees stand, glorious as they are, strong as they are, side by side, not competing for resources, 
Rather, they're huge root systems fused together, and they share resources. These massive, beautiful, healthy trees, and I want you to just note this today, they live interdependently of one another. They live interdependently of one another. No sequoia grows alone. In fact, each tree stands for centuries because each tree has an interdependent posture. They depend on one another to be healthy. They depend on one another to be strong. They depend on one another to grow. They, they depend on one another to be vital and healthy in every way. And I believe this morning that when we read Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through the end of the chapter, this is exactly what we see occurring in this passage of Scripture. We see the principle of growing together. And as a church, that's why we exist. Loving God, growing together, and serving others. Healthy disciples of Jesus Christ are interdependent. No disciple can be healthy. No disciple can have a vital, strong, flourishing, growing faith when he is on his own. This type of interdependency is, is, is the type of interdependency that kept their faith strong in the New Testament. It kept their faith vibrant. It kept it active and growing and maturing. This type of interda- uh, interaction produced a a vibrant living faith that spread to the known world. In a time of, of persecution, in a time of, of uncertainty, these men and women who were followers of Jesus Christ committed their lives to Jesus Christ to follow him, to be all in with Jesus Christ. But then in turn, they committed themselves and devoted themselves to one another to see their faith grow and flourish and become the persons that God wanted them to be. We find in this passage of Scripture In verse 42, the Bible says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The key there is they continually devoted themselves. You see, these men and women were devoted to teaching. They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to selling their possessions when they found out there was a need that someone else uh, uh, had. And in the book of Acts, we see Christians devoted to doing life together. Now, back in 07, when uh, God led me to start this church, uh, which at that time was Green Garden Baptist Church, one of the one of the visions that I had, one of the, one of the ideals that, that I believe that God wanted us to accomplish as a church is that, that God would raise up a people that could do life together. And I think one of the things that connected me with Pastor Mike and Pastor John as, we, as God led us to merge in this last year was that, that we all had this collective vision that we believe that we should be a people who anchor our life to the Word of God and we govern our life to the Word of God, but that we also, we do it together. We do it hand in hand and arm in arm, and we don't do it by ourselves. And when the church is operating on an interdependent level, I don't know of any other organization that's more beautiful and more powerful when God's people work together for the mission of God. We want to talk a little bit about that this morning because what we find in this passage is, is incredibly unique to our Western culture. And I'm going to say something to you here in just a moment that's not a Christian cliche or a Christian platitude, and it's not just something that, that I'm going to say this morning, but it's something that should resonate with us today and that we, should, that we should seek to be and do as a church. And what we find in Acts chapter 2, to the end, uh, 41 to the end of the chapter, is that here were a group of people that were not going to church, they were being the church. Here's a group of people that weren't just going to church, they weren't going to a location. And that's why we have to be very careful when we talk about the vision of the church The vision of the church isn't about building buildings. The vision of the church 
is about becoming the people that God wants us to be and spreading the gospel to the places on this planet that do not know Jesus Christ. And we cannot do that by ourselves. So we find that here was a group of people that were not going to church, they were being the church. And it's our hope as pastors that you would engage one another at this level. Knowing that God never intended us to grow our faith in isolation, but rather in a community of faith called the church. And that's what the word church means. If you go back to the original language, the idea there is a called out gathering. It's a community of people that that come together so that we can worship Christ and live out the mission of God. And so we find in this passage, and what we're going to look at today is that discipleship isn't a program. Please mark that down. Discipleship isn't a program. In fact, we can walk you through the different uh, tenets of the Christian faith. And you can have a lot of head knowledge about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But if it's never lived out, if it's never fleshed out, you're not really becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. All you have is a bunch of information. Discipleship means that we're going to be devoted to following Jesus in the context of the relationships that we call the church. And it's going to be a little bit more organic than what we think. It's not going to be a program. It's going to be about us intentionally leaning into one another, loving one another, devoting our lives to one another so that we can see our faith grow, so that we can see one another live lives that are sanctified, so that we can live lives that are holy, and so that others may see our faith in us and that they too may find the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And so when we consider what it means to do life together, the first thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is doing life means being devoted to truth with each other. Doing life devoted to truth. And we see this in verse 42. It's the first thing we see. The Bible says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now the idea here is that you've got a group of people that were interested in doctrine. Some translations uh, translate this this passage to they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine, the the, the apostles' teaching. Now, the word doctrine here means it is the clear clear teaching of the truth from the Word of God. And this morning, we're here to learn what the Bible says, and it's assumed that disciples want to grow. Now, I can get up here this morning, and I can tell you a bunch of funny stories, and we can leave here today, and you can walk out of the room. And one of the favorite things as a pastor I love to hear, and I know five of you will come up to me after church and say, that was a funny story today, you know? And they're like, that's what you remember about the service, right? And in reality... When we talk about theology, most times in most churches, you've got to reach for the smelling salts because most folks, their eyes glaze over because they're not interested in theology. They're interested in that new thing or what's going to make them laugh or something that's going to ease their conscience. But when you need the divine on a day of difficulty, the one thing that's going to help you see your faith through that moment is going to be the teaching of the word of God. Not some funny Christian platitude, not some funny Christian cliche. It's going to be the the truth of the Word of God as we anchor our hearts and we anchor our lives to the teachings of the Word of God. And and I want to tell you this to you today. As much as I try and as much as Mike tries to study the Word of God, I love in the book of Acts that the Bible says, and there were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they searched the Scriptures daily. Those things were so. So so at some level, right, this this isn't like most religious gatherings. Don't take me at my word. Go back and study it yourself. Know the Word of God for yourself. And oftentimes I have people come to me and say, hey, you know, I was reading the book of Habakkuk about, you know, such and such. And I mean, some obscure, weird thing that they're going to ask me about. You know, like, who's Habakkuk's sister-in-law, right? Like, I don't know. And I'm like, hey, I I want you to introduce you to my friend called Google. 
could Google that first before you come ask me some weird question, right? And I'm kind of teasing there this morning, but, but, but the reality is, right, your source of learning is found in the Word of God. And the Bible says to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of God. So you and I individually have a responsibility to know the Word of God for ourselves. You see, we must have hearts that are willing to learn and hearts that are, are, are open to obeying the truth that is taught. Disciples aren't just interested in learning stuff. They're passionate about applying and obeying what they have been taught in the Word of God. And let me ask you this today. How, how passionate are you about applying and obeying God's Word in your life? Because the Bible says if you genuinely want joy and you genuinely want peace in your life, it always is a byproduct of your obedience to the Word of God. Jesus said to his disciples, happy are you, or happy are you if you do them. And he was talking about the commands of Scripture. If you want to experience joy, if you want to experience peace, if you want to experience uh, uh, God's presence and God's power in your life, it will always come as a byproduct of you not just knowing the Word of God, but you obeying the Word of God. So as followers of Jesus Christ, we have this, this idea, we have this desire to be devoted to the truth of the Word of God. Now, when Scripture is elevated and made central, right, when Scripture is elevated, not my opinion, not, not some writer's opinion, not the latest book that's, that's on the shelves today, none of that, when Scripture is elevated and it's made central, disciples are strengthened and the gospel spreads. Now, one of the most important things about a church is not its location, its facilities, or nurseries. One of the most important things about a church is its passion for the gospel and the truth of the word of God. Several years ago, I remember on um, Shine uh, 89.7, they surveyed a bunch of people and asked them what they thought were the ten most important things in a church. And the number one thing on the top of the list was the music of the church, right? At the very bottom was the teaching and the word of God, right? Now look, I'm all for music, and thank God we have good music here at our church. Can I get an amen? Love the music this morning. Very much spirit-filled music, and I think that we need to have that, right? But if we changed the teaching of this church, and we had great music, we would cease to be the church that God has called us to be. I mean, we should be able to come here and have no music, and open the word of God, and celebrate who Jesus Christ is and what he has done in our lives and proclaim the message of the gospel, and live that out. You see, the gospel meets us where we are, and it tells us the truth about ourselves, and the truth about ourselves is that we're not awesome. But you know, from time to time, we need to hear that, don't we? From time to time, we need the Bible to reflect back to us the sinner that we are, and the needy uh, uh, person that we are, and we need to be reminded that we're not as special as what we think we are, and the gospel does that for us, and the truth, and the doctrine, and the teaching of the word of God does that for us, and that's the truth that we're devoted to. But then secondly, we see doing life together devoted to fellowship. And we see this in verse number 42. The Bible says that they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and of prayers. You see, it's assumed not only that disciples care about truth, but they, but they also, they were joined to one another. This is the idea here that we see in this illustration of the sequoia trees is that there, there's this interdependency among one another. Like we really do depend on one another. And I think we've got this Western mindset that I don't need anyone. I don't have to have you to grow in my faith. And, 
And if you believe that, you're setting yourself up for failure. Now, can you grow? I guess, maybe, but not at the rate that God designed you to grow when you live in a community of faith of believers who are walking in the truth of the word of God. When you're walking in community together with other brothers and sisters in Christ who desire to take and know the word of God and to ascertain its truths and then to live it out on a daily basis in a way that honors and pleases God. So it strikes me, it's funny, because in this text, membership's implied. Like you find this in the detail. I mean, the Bible says in verse 41 that 3,000 people got saved that day, and then they had 3,000 people got saved. I imagine that there was someone there counting, one, two, three, and how they did that, I don't know. But the idea is that they were keeping an account, they were taking a record. But yet in our, in our American culture, in our Western culture, we, we, we push away from that when it comes to religious things. Like, we don't want to overcommit, right? But the funny thing is, is we, we join gyms and clubs, the Moose Lodge, you know. If you don't know what that is, watch the Flintstones, right? Kids are like, what? We join clubs and gyms and organizations, but the one movement on this planet that actually makes a difference in the world, we fail to go all in, Right? I want to just ask you today, like, why would you fail to go all in on the gospel? Why would you fail to go all in with the people of God to make an eternal transcendent difference with the life that God has given you? This week, I mean, I did two funerals this week. Sheila Egger passed away, and, and she's now at home with the Lord. And then uh, the next day, Steve calls me and says, hey, there was a guy that used to go to uh, our church when it, was back, uh, when it was called First Baptist. Would you mind doing the funeral? And did the funeral that day, and I was just on the way to the second funeral. I'm thinking to myself, it's a vapor, man. Like, it's a vapor. Our life is nothing more than a vapor. It's here one minute, and it's gone the next. And one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. The idea here is fellowship. The word means a partnership. It's willing to share tight-knit community based on what they had in common. J.D. Greer says that biblical community is, first of all, the sharing of common life in Christ. It's the sharing with one another what God is teaching us through the Bible. And I'm just fascinated by Christian people, especially in our Western culture, that, that we're more interested in Bible studies than we are in Bible application. We're more in, interested in more knowledge and knowing stuff rather than we are applying the stuff that we already know. When you think about it, we don't need more information. We don't. We've got way more information right now in this moment than the world has ever known. And then you have it in your hand, and anything you want to know, you can Google it at any time, any subject that you want to know about. And then you think about that in terms of your faith, and you think about that in terms of Christianity, and, and, and some of you say, man, Pastor, it just seems like you preach on the same things all the time. And I just feel like when we start doing the things I'm talking about, I'll move on to some new stuff, amen? <laughs> right? Amen? God's people with me, give, give it to me, amen? We don't need information, we need obedience. We like to talk a big game. Hey, we're here to make disciples, we're here to win the world, we're here to bring lost people to Jesus Christ. But are we really doing that? And is someone holding our feet to the fire? Is someone asking us, are we reading our Bible, and are we praying, and are we loving our wives and our family? I mean, is that happening in our, our, our context that we're currently in? Discipleship is not done on Sunday. Discipleship isn't done on Sunday, but it's done in relationships. It's done in relationships. This is the, it's the context of spiritual growth. That's the context of spiritual growth. You see, at a baseline, it's the, 
a small gathering of believers throughout the week walking in the truths and the principles and the commands of the Word of God. Doing life together is an unquestionable essential in the disciple-making process. For many, we struggle with this truth because we make up excuses about our schedule and our expectations and our frustrations and, and what's required often gets in the way. So here, here are some of our objections this morning for why we don't do life together, why we, why we refuse to, or why we, why we try to um, pivot away, if you will, from living life in community with one another. We all stand in need of this kind of grace. We need all of us, and I, I mean this. Look at me, look at me real quick this morning. All of us need to live in community. This pastor right here, I'm going to talk about this here in a moment. I need to live in community. I can't, I can't live above and beyond the body of Christ. Just because I'm one of the pastors here and I spend my week in the Word of God, I'm going to tell you if there's any one person in this room that needs to be in community probably more than anyone, it's me because at some point, it's very easy for what I do to just become a job and a vocation rather than a calling. God's called me. How easy would it be to fall into the pressures of this world and to the, the anxiety and the stress that comes along with being a, a, a pastor? But we all stand in need of God's grace. We all stand in need of care and correction. And just because you've been saved for some time doesn't imply that you are spiritually mature. Can I say that again? Just because you've been saved for a long time, 10, 20, 30 years, doesn't mean you are spiritually mature. So some of you in this room today, you've been, you've been saved for several decades, but you've got an anger issue. Some of you have been saved for decades, and you struggle with forgiveness and bitterness. Some of you have been saved for, for many, many years, and, and, and you struggle with gossiping. And someone needs to step into your world and help to care for you and correct you so that you can be the follower of Jesus that God has actually called you to be. But we come up with these objections, and here's what we do. The first one is this, is I don't have anything in common with the people in this church. I don't have anything in common. That's one of the major objections, is that we think we don't have anything in common with those around us. And, and oftentimes, a lot of people come to me, and when we, when we talk about growth groups, they're like, well, do you have a teen group? Do you have a singles group? Do you have a seniors group? Do you have a, a whatever group? You know, I, I'm into water you know, underwater basket weaving, do you have a group of people like that that just love that? And here, here's what I tell people. Um, the commonality, the commonality that we build our groups around is the commonality and reality that we are all broken sinners and we all stand in need of God's grace. And so in our growth group ministries, we don't, we don't, we don't necessarily um, allow the commonality to be a location, like a region, like, oh, everyone from New Linux come over. Now, if that works for you, go there. But you're you might have friends, and you just want to go do life together with people that live in No Linux. Or Piatone's like a rocking town, baby. We got the Will County Fair, and everybody just loves coming to Piatone, right? And so that's just where it's happening, you know? So, so we don't do it based on that. Several years ago, um, she's not here today, but uh, we started, we have a group in Piatone. And I remember we were going through some things uh, in our group and a series on, on sexuality at one point. And we had uh, some uh, younger couples. We had some. Um, you know, so, some, some couples that were, you know, been married for a while. Then we had some, some older couples in our group. But I'm going to tell you, when we were talking through some of the things that we were talking through that evening, I was just amazed at the wisdom that we were able to glean that night from some believers that had walked that path before us. I, I didn't need to be around some of my peers that night. I needed to hear and have someone speak into my life that had gone through something that I had not yet experienced yet. And that's a good thing. 
The reason that most relationships don't last is they're built on commonalities that change over time. If what's in common changes, so does the relationships. And so basically we got to build our relationships on something deeper than finding good restaurants or working at the same company or having kids in the same activities because they will change uh, when the bond is no longer there. Now the deepest foundation of our community is the gospel. Nothing compares to that. The deepest foundation that we find that we have in common with one another is the gospel. And what connects believers is the reality that we're really messed up people, broken before uh, a holy God, and we've been rescued and given new life in Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, really messed up people. You say, well, what do I have in common with these people? You know, I'm just, I'm 20 years old, and the people in this group are 35, 40 years old. What do I have in common with them? Well, they're pretty messed up. And it looks like you're going to fit in. They're going to help you find some grace, and they're going to help you to walk in obedience to the Word of God. And that's what we want to lean into. The second one is this, is I don't have time in my schedule. You, you know, you read this text, and the one thing that is assumed is that those who know, love, and follow Jesus live in this tight-knit partnership, growing with, one, with other believers in Christ. And I'm going to tell you, that. can I just say this today? I mean, there are we, I'm, a pa- I'm one of the pastors here. There are weeks where I don't, I don't want to go to group. I'd rather sit at home and watch my favorite show sometimes. I just would rather do that. I'm tired. I've been working hard. I've been dealing with you folks all week. And sometimes I just need a break, right? Being sarcastic, right? Amen. But every time I go, I walk into that small gathering, that small community of faith. My faith is lifted up. My faith is strengthened. I'm challenged to grow and to be more like Jesus Christ. Something happens for me. In that, in that rhythm of life that I've committed to that I will not get by sitting at home on my rear end, on my couch, watching some stupid television on TV. Ed Stetzer says this. He says, the Christ follower outside of community is living in disobedience. Community, community is assumed. And if I'm out of community, I am out of God's will. It's easy to sit back and watch the show, but it's biblical to gather in communities and live out the mission. Folks, listen, that's the grassroots of the mission of God. When we gather together in smaller groups, that's where believers are taken care of. That's where you're going to be ministered to because I'm going to be honest with you. I might, on a, on a good day, minister to 10 people okay. Mike could maybe minister to 10, but he works on top of his work that he does here at the church. He works another full-time job. Same thing with John. We can only minister to so many people, and so it's our responsibility. And Clint, like, he's only been on staff six months. I mean, he's, we're just trying to teach him how to tie shoes. You know what I'm saying? I'm kidding. He's doing a great job, and he's helping out in major ways. But you know what I'm saying? My job, Clint's job, John and Mike, we're all working together to equip you to minister to each other and minister to the world around us in a way that's significant. And then you might say, you know, I don't want to be betrayed. And I think that's one of the biggest fears. And I don't want to be betrayed. And here's the fear. Well, someone's going to use it against me. And I'm going to say this to you. They probably will. Because it's happened to me. The betrayal is awful. It's awful sometimes when, and I've shared stuff with people. And they've come back and said, but you know, you said this. I'm like, yeah, I know I said that. Well, I can't believe you said this. Well, I know. And I did that. And I've had people use that against me. And it's caused me in seasons of my life to pull back and say, man, is this really worth it? Should I really be involved in community? Should I really open up? My wife and I have really struggled with that over the years because 
there was a season in our life and a season in our ministry and a season in our journey as we followed Christ where we really wondered, could we be open and authentic with people? And we just came to the conclusion, if we're going to do this, we're going to be all in. We're just going to be all in on this. And if people betray us and if they think that we're broken sinners and, and we're not worthy of the ministry, we're not worthy of God's calling in our life, then so be it. But we know that if we are as followers of Jesus Christ, because my primary calling is not to pastor this church, my primary calling is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so if I'm going to grow first and foremost as a disciple of Jesus, I've got to live in community and be open, authentic, and honest with the struggles that I have. I've got to be open and honest about that. And when I'm truly known, there's no pretending, there's no pretense, there's no hiding. I can walk with my brothers and sisters in Christ without judgment. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, I was just, we were talking about this last week at lunch with a couple in our church, and, and, they, and they were sharing with us an experience that they went, and a group of people gathered together that didn't even know each other, and they just all of a sudden start sharing all their, their, their issues. And, and why is it that Christians can't do that? Why is it that we can't come in here and say, you know, my husband is abusive. We're struggling financially, and I don't know how we're going to pay our bills this year. You know, there was a season in our marriage where we struggled with this, and, and you know, I, I don't know what to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. Spiritual maturity will be marked in our lives as we become a people of confession. And confession isn't a sign of weakness. It's a sign of, I'm tired of living my life on my own. I need help, and I want to grow in God's grace and God's mercy. It's okay. It's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. And so as Christians, we've got to move beyond this ideal that we've got to have all of our stuff together and we've got to be this perfect person. God didn't save you as a perfect person. He saved you as a person who is in progress. You're in progress. And so I'd say to you this morning, being privatized is not going to help you grow in your faith. In fact, some of you, you're so worried that if people find out your one thing, I don't know what that is for you. Some of you have a thing. It's a vice. It's a struggle that you have. It's something that licks your faith. It's something that causes you to doubt whether or not you're even a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't know what it is, but you have that thing that, that, that just causes you to, to struggle and limp this Christian life. And I want to tell you today that I hope that in the years to come and in the months to come and in the weeks to come, that we can live life together as a community of faith that are willing to live in open confession. And one another is, hey, I'm struggling with this. Hey, I need some help in this. I need you to pray for me in this matter. And I love this quote because it says this, we've already been outed in the cross. Now walk in what he has already said is true. You know what that means? On the cross, Jesus declared me guilty and yet extended me grace all in the same moment. Now walk in that grace. So this morning, there's nothing that you can share with me that hasn't already be, been declared true in the cross of Jesus Christ. You're a broken, unrighteous, unworthy sinner who deserved to die on a cross and pay for your own sins, but you couldn't do that. And so Jesus came and he took your place on the cross and he, by his own shed blood, redeemed you. And now he wants to make everything new in your life. Now walk in that freedom. You don't have to worry about what I think. You don't have to worry about what other people think about you. All you need to care about is the approval of God in you in Christ Jesus. And so here's the, here's the opportunity. For transformation to truly take place, 
we must know and invest in relationships with one another. And I just wrote this down in my notes. A lack of intimacy hijacks your spiritual growth. A lack of intimacy will hijack your spiritual growth. And and this is what I want to say about this this morning, okay? If people don't really know you, how are you going to really grow? If they don't know you. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You need to have somebody that's in the trenches with you, right? Somebody that knows you, and you can share, like this morning with Mike, uh, he was in my office, and I was sharing some unfiltered thoughts with him, right? And I know, like, do you know what I'm saying, unfiltered thoughts? Like, I wasn't I weren't cursing at him or anything like that. It was just unfiltered thoughts. Like, hey, I was thinking yesterday, can I get some feedback on this? What do you think? There's been other times where I've struggled with some things, and I've walked into to Mike and said, I need, you, I need you to speak into me on this. What do you think? And I need to talk to you unfiltered. I, I, I don't need to care about how I'm framing this or how I'm couching this. I just I need to speak to you on this. Why don't you speak back into me? Now, on one hand, I have my wife, and she's one, right? But you also need another, right? Amen? Because I love my wife, but I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I'm just not hearing that, right? And I'm going to say vice versa. Sometimes I'll speak into her life, and I'll say, hey, baby, um, and I do that. I'm like, hey, baby, you know, why don't you chill, right? You seem a little angry. I ain't angry, you know. <laughs> All right, you ain't angry. I'll talk to you later. I'm going to go for a walk. <laughs> Eat your hostess cakes, right? Sometimes I'm, listen, sometimes I'm not the one. And guess what? My calling as a husband is not to fix her. Like, it's just not. And I, I've recognized after 18 years of marriage, and I, I mean, I just feel like I'm getting started. I mean, really, I feel like I'm just getting started because, like, you know, we were joking about it the other day, but, I mean, sometimes I feel like she's an enigma. And you're like, what's an enigma? That's a mystery wrapped in a puzzle, you know? I mean, I just keep unfolding this thing. I'm like, oh, whoa, you know, and then I get a little bit further. And, whoa, you know, it gets better, you know? And I'm saying that as a compliment, you know? It's like a surprise every day. It's like Captain Crunch, there's a toy down in the bottom, right? So sometimes I, sometimes I can speak into her life, but not always. So I'm thankful that my wife has some people in this room that she can be completely open and honest and authentic with and can speak into her life. And there have been, and this was hard for me at first because I, I, I didn't want her couching things. Because you know how we talk to our friends. Well, you know, you won't believe what my wife just did. And she, she said this and she did this. And, you know, I'm like throwing her on the bus. And I, I really worried about that at first. But I remember a couple times she went to her friends and, and said, hey, you know, Jason did this and did this. And they're like, girlfriend, you need to, like, fix your stuff because Jason's right. And I'm like, come on, girl, you know. <laughs> and so she came back to me and said, I'm sorry for being. I'm like, you need to go talk to her some more. You know, like, that's a good friend. No, I'm just kidding. Because sometimes they'll come back and say, you know, your husband's just a little nerd, you know. So you guys with me? Sometimes you need another person. You need another person in the trenches. Your, your spouse is one, but you sometimes you need someone else that can truly know you. Because for whatever reason, we don't always listen to our spouse. Because we know each other too well. We know what we're going to say. We know how we're going to respond. So that's the opportunity. I, I, I struggle with sin. I do. Wife and I were talking about this this week, and many of you know my story that I was abused sexually when I was a young person. From the time I was 13 to 15, I grew up in a home where my dad was verbally and physically abusive, and I, I had a lot of learned behaviors that I had to overcome. I, I remember in our first couple years of marriage, man, like I struggled with some stuff that I'm utterly ashamed of, and just sad that you know 
that I carried all that stuff in our marriage. And my wife and I were talking about this just this week. And we never, we never talked to anyone about this stuff. I was in Bible college, and I was going through my master's program, and I was learning about counseling, and I thought, you know, I should be dealing with this stuff. I mean, I'm going to be a pastor. I should be able to figure this out. I mean, if I can't get my stuff together, I shouldn't be helping other people, and, and all these weird thoughts. And, and, and in some way, I don't know if it's because we were young or inexperienced or because of the cultural church culture that we were in. I, I don't know what it was, but we felt so alone. And even up until the last several years, until we actually stepped into counseling. And I remember the first time we did that, we sat in the counselor's office, and the count, April says to me, I, I don't want anybody to know this. I don't want anyone to know that we were going to counseling because people are going to think you had an affair. Or I had an affair. Or we're getting a divorce. And I, and I remember um, you know, her, her struggle with that. And I remember I said, hey, I'm going to tell our group that we're in counseling. She's like, well, I'm not going to group tonight. I'm like, well, I'm going to pray for you. you know? And she came. So that night I said, hey, you know, guys, I, I just want you to know I'm your pastor. And uh, even though I'm your pastor, I, I, I struggle with stuff. And April struggles with stuff. And, and, and we're walking through some things right now. And I, I just remember the, the love and the warmth that we felt in those moments as our group came alongside of us and prayed for us. Hey, listen, man, we, we need that. Like, we need that. And I'm going to tell you, there's been some times where I've doubted my calling. There's been some times where I've doubted my faith. And I, I've just struggled to believe God. And there's some people that are sitting in this room, and I can look across this room, and I can thank God for my brothers and sisters in Christ and my friends and family who have come alongside of me and said, hey, I'm with you, man. I love you. Don't throw in the towel. God's got this. Believe what the Bible says. Because we have this gospel amnesia that when we get into a trial and we get into a difficulty, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We just forget what the Bible says, right? And our brothers and sisters in Christ they come alongside of us and they, they remind us of the truth of the word of God that we should be anchoring our hearts and our lives to so that we can be steadfast and immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. And so we're not here to float around. We're not here to sink the ship. We're here to stand for the glory of God. And sometimes your brother, he's kind of struggling and he's bending and we got to lift him up. And sometimes our sister, her, her knees are weak and we got to lift her up and we got to speak faith into her life and use the word of God to grow and make strong disciples of Jesus Christ. And that will not happen on your own. That kind of faith, that kind of growth will not happen on your own. Stetzer says this, and I love this. He says, large groups provide a cover for not giving, not serving, not praying, and not investing in others. We've got to move from sitting in rows to sitting in circles every day. And the last thing is this, and I'll be short, but he says, doing life devoted to service. I love verses 44 and 45. The Bible says, and all believed together, had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Now, I want to say this real quick. This isn't prescriptive. What I mean by that is that in the, in the first church, right, they, th- this was a supernatural moving of the Holy Spirit, and they were just, like, camping out together and hanging out together. They sold pieces of land to minister to one another, right? So... Uh, we've got 15 acres here, and the last thing I want to do is for you to sell your house and all of us camp together, right? I'm just not down with that. Mike's got an RV, and if some of you want to do that, he'll sign you up later today because he's got his RV fixed, and he's, he's down with living outdoors. Can I get an amen? Not my deal, but that'll be his ministry, right? That's not what this is talking about. The, pr- the principle is this, that as followers of Jesus Christ, because of the grace and love and the mercy that is shown to us, 
that spills over from our life into the lives of others. We live a life of outpouring of God's grace into the lives of others. And what's sad is it's become acceptable to sit in church week after week and do nothing but call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Some of you are just attenders, man. Like you just show up and you've been saved. It's not like you just got saved. You've been saved for decades. And you come in week after week and you sit here and you do nothing but call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. You're not involved in community. You're not involved in ministry. And one writer says it this way, church isn't a place we go. The church is who we are. It describes who we are. Ministry is the responsibility of the whole body. The pastors are equippers. God's not calling us to go to church. God is calling us to be the church to one another and to a world that is far from God. And the church in Acts was devoted to serving those in need with a heart of compassion, a heart of love. And let me ask you this morning, do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love them? And I get some of you can be quite unlovable. Just let's be honest, like you, you kind of are. But we're still going to love you anyway. I love this passage in 1 John chapter 3.23. Now this is the command that we believe in his name of, of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he has commanded us. You know how the world knows that we're followers of Jesus Christ? By our love. 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible says, if I, if I speak in the tongues of angels and I do this and I do that and I do that, but if I don't have love, it's nothing more than a clanging so my love for God will spill over in my love for those around me that God has called me to serve and minister to. So you know what that means? That means I'm not walking in late. I'm just getting real practical today. It means I'm not coming into church late because, you know, um, for whatever reason, like I can't get my stuff together and I can't get into the church house. It means I'm going to show up early and I'm going to look for people that are in this room that are hurting. That's what it means. It means I'm going to hang out afterwards, and I'm going to talk to some people, and I'm going to say, hey, how can I pray for you this week? Where are you struggling at right now? It means that I'm going to put it on my calendar to be involved in a group of other believers on a weekly basis and speak into their life and look for ways to serve them because that's what God has called me to do as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm going to commit to this. And listen, that's how you grow. And if you're new to our church, one of the things that we say to our, 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 our folks that are interested in our church and they come to our starting point class, we're assuming that you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're assuming that you want to grow in your faith. And we're not speaking in terms of, of legalism or anything like that because I'm, I'm genu I genuinely mean this today. When you love other people, it spills out into your actions. It will. It will. You'll make changes in your life. You'll, you'll develop a rule of life. You'll develop a, a rhythm to your life. Because at the end of the day, we are not spiritual consumers. We are contributors. The church doesn't exist for us, but we are the church and we exist for the world. I mentioned this at the beginning of the message, and I'm going to say it again. In the near future, you're going to see your pastors doing less and less of the ministry and more and more of the equipping. We want to empower you to fulfill your God-given purpose. In fact, our next series, the whole series is about change your world. God has placed you in a neighborhood. God has placed you in a job. God has placed you in a sports league. Um, on and on we could go. God has given you a context in which 
to be a person that spreads the gospel and spreads the love of Jesus Christ. God help us not to be obnoxious Christians. The world doesn't need more of that. The, more, the world needs more people sold out, devoted to Jesus Christ, that are willing to walk in authenticity and in brokenness. Who can say, I am a person who stands in need of God's grace, and let me show you what that means to me. So I want to challenge you this morning to take the next step. Like, what's your step this week? Now, groups don't start for another couple of weeks, but I want to ask you, are you willing to commit to and devote yourself to this body? You know, growth group is kind of like this. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like when that guy is dating a girl and he gives her an engagement ring, but he doesn't set a date. Or it's like that guy that sets a date, but he doesn't give her an engagement ring. And quite frankly, when you join growth group and you get involved in community, it's kind of like putting that wedding band on and saying, you know what, I'm committing to this group of believers. I'm going to do life with them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean into them. I'm going to get to know them. It's going to be dirty. It's going to be gritty. It's going to be hard. But the benefits far outweigh the worst that it might be. I'm going to lean into this. And that's kind of how marriage is. Like when you first get started, it's a beautiful thing. Like you're like, oh, man, I can't wait till we live together. And then you start living together, and you're like, holy cow, what did I get into, right? <laughs> I didn't know you cared what towels I used to wash my hands and wipe my face. I didn't know. But the more that you lean into it and you persevere in it and it makes you more like Christ, the more beautiful it becomes. The more beautiful it becomes. So would you be willing to sign up for a growth group? Would you be willing to commit to doing life with your brothers and sisters in Christ? And let me just ask you this. And this is kind of like a dream of mine. I think Mike and John and Clint would all attest to this. I really believe that we'll become a people of spiritual maturity when we're marked by confession. When we can be honest about our sins. When we can be totally honest about our struggles. When we can just be open with one another. And I'm not saying that you need to be like that with every single person in this room. But you need to have one or two people that you can lean into and say, man, I'm having a really bad week this week. Things are falling apart, and I don't know what to do. And there's an uncertainty to this that's kind of rocking my faith right now at this moment. Would you pray with me? Would you come have coffee with me? Would you share some scriptures with me? Because I don't know what to do. I need some wisdom from somebody that's not involved in the situation that can speak objectively and speak faith and, and, and tie me to something that's more transcendent than this moment. And I trust and I hope that you'll learn what it means and experience the joys and the benefits of walking with your brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that's authentic and honest and beautiful. Would you bow your heads this morning? I mentioned this morning about the cross and Jesus Christ and how he died for our sins. And maybe you're here today and you're not truly certain that you're a follower of Jesus Christ and what it means to be forgiven of your sins and know for sure that you are saved. And if you're here today and you, you don't know for certain that, that you're forgiven of your sins and that, that, that you're right with God, would you just lift your hand and let me pray for you today? Is there anyone that's like that that's in here today that I could just, you know, lift your name up in prayer? And how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I, I want to kind of be a part of what God is doing. I kind of want to be a part of living life together with other believers in Christ. And if no one else does this, if no one else is willing to be devoted to 
our calling as disciples, I want to be one of those ones that says, you know, hey, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be devoted to fellowship, and I'm going to be devoted to doctrine, and I'm going to be devoted to serving those around me, and, and, and I'm going to be a part of seeing our church grow and mature, not just our church, but I want to see my own faith grow. I don't want to do this by myself. Would you just lift your hand and let me see this today? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again for Jesus Christ. I want to thank you, God, for this offering. This reminds us that we're not really offering. But God, in your love and in your grace, you've reached out to us. When we were guilty, you extended grace. And I just pray this morning that our response would honor you. It's so easy for us times to rationalize away our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ. God, I just pray that you would call us to, to more of what you would want us to be. What's descriptive in the word of God and what's required of us as disciples of Jesus Christ. And I just pray this morning that we wouldn't go through the motions of coming to church, but we would actually see a, 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 a faith lit up in this room today that we can speak of for ages to come. We just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning?